The season of Lent began last Wednesday. Since Christ Church comprises a diverse group of people from a wide, widely diverse background, there's a good chance that many don't have much knowledge about or experience of the traditions of Lent beyond a sort of vague idea about um, a time we're supposed to give something up for some reason. Because it lasts for 40 days leading up to Easter, not counting Sundays, Sundays are like mini resurrection days, so they're not counted in Lent. But 40 days to Easter means that Lent always starts on a Wednesday, what we call Ash Wednesday, since on that day we have services that include the imposition of ashes. This last Wednesday was just such an occasion. Now, if you have never attended an Ash Wednesday service at Christ Church, you won't know that participants are asked to write down on a slip of paper those things that block them from living into loving relationships with God and neighbor. We say that they might think of these blocks as sin, <clears throat> but they could also think of them as any impediment that prevents them from moving into the place of forgiveness or love or integrity or justice, keeping them separated from God and from the people who populate their lives even the ones, the people who they say they love. We do this odd activity because it makes explicit our intention to help one another do some serious soul-searching about our lives. We could think of Lent as one long extended opportunity for serious and thorough soul-searching. So on Ash Wednesday, everyone is invited to jot down the things that block them from living full and holy lives on a slip of paper they're given when they come into the space. These slips are then collected and burned in a basin up here by the communion rail. We have what you might call a little bonfire of the vanities right here. The ashes from these various offerings are then mingled with the ashes that are imposed on the foreheads of those who come forward. Participants routinely report to me that this service is one of the most significant markers in the year for them. First-timers have shared how surprisingly real the experience is, how intimate and challenging how the ashes mark them in an important way that um, words can't contain or describe. And that they do this in the company of others. That together, in a spirit of humility, everyone present collectively takes stock of their fragile humanity as the minister traces the cross on their foreheads and says, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's one of my most tender pastoral moments tracing that cross. 
looking into the eyes of each person as I remind them of their mortality. It is humbling and stirring for me personally. There's a kind of nakedness to the transaction. And I was recently reminded of one year, not so long ago, that was especially poignant for me. The day before Ash Wednesday of that year, a very close friend of mine told me he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he only had so many months to live. He quietly asked me if I could be present to him in his final months. He hoped I would accompany him. I said, yes, of course. The next day during the Ash Wednesday service, I wrote on a slip of paper myself the word fear. Too many sorts of fears to list, so I let that solitary word suffice. Journaling then about that moment afterwards, I wrote a short series of prayers. Lord, help me to be present to my friend, fully conscious of my own mortality, to be available, loving, and alert. Let this alertness spill into the rest of my life, my daily encounters, and what I care about in the larger world. Help me to remember that each of us are companions for our homeward journey, regardless of how many days we have yet to live. Make me more conscious, self-aware, Help me to face any fear of death and offer it up. Help me to honor the life remaining by listening and responding to my better angels. You know, those were the sorts of things that were rattling around in my brain when the ashen cross was traced on my forehead. I wrote a few other words on my little slip of paper that year. Courage, responsibility, forgiveness, family. These were sort of markers that captured a number of intentions, some of which had to do with my relationship with Christ church folks, like all of you, with myself and with the wider world. Now, most of the people who show up for that service participate in this peculiar ritual. They don't have to, of course, but most, almost nearly everyone does. They write sentences or names or specific actions, I'm guessing. And when collecting the papers, I can tell a lot of spiritual energy has been flowing in the room. The fire that then consumes all this energy is never large, but in my imagination, it burns white, hot, 
hot like a refiner's fire, separating the dross from molten metal. Hot like that. And a good gift was given to me later that year. Serendipitously, I was able to be present when my friend died. And as these things go, he died very, very well. I would tell you it even had beauty. I experienced it as a kind of culmination to my Ash Wednesday prayer. I was humbled and grateful and changed for the better. The church participates in these sorts of odd activities so that we can offer ourselves an opportunity to honestly take our lives and the lives of others completely seriously. We make the effort to set aside our cynicism, our awkwardness, our laziness, our distractedness, or some other foolishness to actually think and pray and meditate deeply on the condition of our lives, our place in the world, and our fundamental identity as citizens of God's kingdom, people who intend to follow along the path Jesus blazed. As Luke reminds us this morning, immediately following his baptism, Jesus walked out into the desert where he did his own spiritual homework. He confronted his own demons of power, who, who, and who knows what else, what other demons. He offered it all up. The story tells us that like the rest of humanity, Jesus had to make sense of his fundamental identity. In this, he is just like us. He had to situate himself, and that required making choices, very important choices. Who am I, is the agitating question. What matters to me anyway? How will I employ the various powers that have been embedded within me now and going forward? How shall I use or abuse my mind, my body, my spirit? To what end shall I focus my energy? And so on. You know, invariably, these questions get answered by each of us one way or another, whether or not we do this consciously. A lot of people, of course, go through life completely unconscious. And these questions never go away. I've discovered over the decades that the questions morph and shapeshift as you age. But they're always present, always relevant. And I am convinced that that will be true until the day I draw my last breath. Underlying many factors we might label psychological or sociological or environmental or developmental is the more fundamental realm of the spiritual. Get the spiritual aligned with reality and we have a much better chance with the rest of it. 
You know, there's a very good reason why the early steps in Alcoholics Anonymous include these. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity and made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You know, working those two concepts, just those two concepts, would make for a really, really fine Lenten discipline. So, Jesus marched out into the desert. The scripture says the Spirit led him out there, which is very intriguing. That would seem to indicate that this was a necessary bit of work Jesus had to accomplish. And let's be clear that it was a kind of work. Because, you know, postmodern seekers often fall into the trap of thinking this spiritual thing should be rather easy and pleasant, kind of trendy and with it that we can drop in on it every now and then, leading to all sorts of nice outcomes like happiness and financial gain and whatnot. And while I certainly believe there is astonishing glory to witness and experience out there, absolutely astonishing, this does not come without a price. It is the price of our willingness to do our personal work, of following the call to go out into the desert and get down to business about who we are and what we're about and where we're going. You know, friends, we ignore this at our peril. I tell you, a lot of the world's peril is caused precisely due to avoiding this work. Our own peril, of course, but also the peril of those with whom we share our lives. The closer they are, the greater the peril they're in from our own frailty and we from theirs and our unwillingness to do the work that has been assigned to us. I would not be doing my job in this role if I didn't tell you this, because it lies at the heart of the matter of all of us, for all of us. So as Jesus marched out into the desert, we marched around the church, which I admit is a very poor substitute. But the best option at the present moment Because as we march, if we let ourselves, we're able to take stock of our lives and our situation in the world. Maybe it seems a bit foolish, certainly a little bit odd, out of the ordinary. Like having an ashen cross traced on our foreheads. But if done with sincerity, we may hear the Spirit calling us, calling us into the desert, ultimately leading into resurrected life. 
Friends, I sincerely invite you to observe a holy Lent.